Hello and welcome to the Overvolted Podcast. Today we have Jim. Great guys. And Aurelian. Hello. And Matthew. Hi. And I'm your host, Kirk. We are going to be talking about the Financial Analyst Day that just occurred. And we're going to talk a little bit about this podcast itself since we're going to start putting it on the main Adore TV channel. So, Jim, do you want to go ahead and give us a kickoff on that? Yeah, I just decided that we would try to clean up the audio and, well, the production quality of the podcast as soon as we possibly could. So we've taken steps to do that. And hopefully, if this works out okay, you'll be watching this on the main channel. I've always wanted to get some more content into the main channel, but I didn't want to introduce new people without being involved in it myself. So I believe that this is probably the best way to do it. Does this mean I won't be doing my normal videos? Don't worry about that. That's not what's going to happen. I will continue to do the same videos that I'm doing, and this will just be extra content in the main channel. So hopefully you enjoy it. Something a little bit different. You're going to get the analysis. It might not be quite as deep as what you see in a typical video, but it should be fun and interesting to listen to anyway. At least that is my hope. And since it's a podcast, we're pretty much just going to be running unscripted. So... There will be errors. We'll try to correct them in post, but try not to quote us on this. Someone was really mad that it's not scripted. And also regarding stuff like uh, getting it on iTunes and audio versions, this is stuff that we will work on in future. But for now, we're just going to stick with YouTube as it's what we all know. And we will fix this stuff up more as we go along. Wait, can we talk about the names that we were going to name this though? Oh yes, we need to cover that. Oh, yeah. So, what was the first name that we that we really liked? Pinch of salt. We were like thinking a pinch of salt. Someone suggested that in the Discord, in the Patreon Discord. Pinch of salt was the first one that gained a bit of traction. Yes. Yeah. And then salted silicon. There was. I came up with hot and loud, which stuck for a few days, and we thought we were gonna go with that one. Yeah, the hot and loud podcast. Up until like like an hour ago, that was what it was gonna be. Just before we started recording. And then Aurelian <laughs> suggested Overvolted, and they were like, here's the thing. We've been discussing a name for like a week, and I don't know about you guys, but I, I had just resigned that it was going to have to be a name that's so bad that it's good. And Hot and Loud checked that box. That's a name that's really bad, but but bad enough to be good. And then Aurelian suggested a name that wasn't bad at all. But I don't want to take all the credit. Jim proposed something and just played with some some. Yeah, well, words, I mean, yeah. you did type it first. Yeah, this is your show for sure. You're the one that picked Overvolted, and that's what the name is now. So, And unfortunately, Hot and Loud is also the name of a music podcast out there that we saw. So it kind of defaulted us to Overvolted, even though we had already decided that that was probably the one we wanted to go with out of the two anyway. Well, we had a vote. We had a first draw poll, and it was a 50-50 split. And then we had a second one, and then that was... I don't think we all voted, but the, like... Three votes were overvolted, so that won anyways. I kind of secretly wanted a name that was so bad it was good, but I'm okay with this name because it actually sounds cool. Really, and even wrote a program to like mix and match yeah. words. Yeah. <laughs> like just a bunch of words. Random word mashing, key computer phrases. So that's how desperate we were getting. But that's a name though, Overvolted. The Overvolted podcast or Overvolted. And you can let us know what you think about it at the end. Let's go ahead and talk about Financial Analyst Day 2020. EMD's Financial Analyst Day, of course. Well, yeah, it's not like we care about any of the other ones, right? <laughs> <laughs> and Matthew and I actually live blogged it. You mean I it. did. You had one message at the oh, end. Come on. I had at least five or six messages. 
You live watched it. Yeah. How about that? I live watched. In all honesty, our live blogging's not fantastic. You did a great job with all the images and stuff, but I think I was a little bit tired. And, you know, this was a three hour long presentation for the financial analyst day. I mean, I enjoyed it. And you'll see why during the course of this show. But I didn't really take a massive part in it. It was mostly all your work, in fact, Matthew. <laughs> I was so focused on getting the slides on there, I didn't even notice you were there. <laughs> I didn't even notice. It is actually quite difficult, though, because, you know, when you're watching something and you're trying to live blog at the same time, you know, it is multitasking. And we all yeah. know how bad, you know, men are. I was kind of engrossed in what I was watching. And then I remembered, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be live blogging this with Matthew. It's actually quite amusing because we talk about the same things like, or we say the same thing very quickly, one after the other. Well, you're both listening to the same thing, so. Some would even say we're the same person. Yeah, some would say that on Reddit. They would say we are <laughs> the same person. <laughs> well, fortunately, we have now definitive proof that you're two separate voices with separate accents. Yes. That would be funny. Because I used to be a mod in our AMD, and I banned you from that, Jim. Yeah, I remember you banning me from it. <laughs> so the accusation is that you banned yourself. In the end, I did end up banning myself. Oh, yeah, that's right. You deleted your account or, or something. Moving on with the actual content. There's a presentation. We will leave a link in the video description. We got slide decks for each of the individual speakers during the Financial Analyst Day. Yeah. That you can review. Um, there's also some live streams out there that actually recorded the entire Financial Analyst Day as well. Yeah. And the presentation was so that Lisa started, followed by Mark Papermaster, David Wang, Rick Bergman, and I think it was Forrest North. Forrest at the end, yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then Devinder Kumar. And Lisa starts, as she always did, looking through the horse slides. Uh, the first 20 or so slides, it was all about the past, which we often see. Mm -hmm. I think AMD are rather proud about talking about how they got to this position that they're in. And they seem to do it a lot. And they talk an awful lot about relationships they've got, like with Microsoft, Sony, Apple, Google, and all that. And I've talked about that before. It's, this is really just about them trying to make themselves as legitimate as possible in people's eyes. But the really interesting slide, I thought, started around slide 18. The next five years? This is when it really started to get interesting. It was the next five years of AMD's journey. Yeah, after slide 18, there's a lot of interesting slides. I was especially interested in this one, the disruptive solutions combining CPUs and GPUs. There was also an article over at Anantech talking about AMD's latest HPC one, the El Capitan supercomputer. And yeah. there was uh, looking through this, well, we know it's going to be Genoa, which is Zen 4, coming after Milan. They showed this slide with the third generation Infinity architecture, that's what they're calling it now. Unified memory across CPU and GPU. And if you recall, in my video, Milan, The Next Frontier, I speculated that maybe these GPUs would be actual socketed on the motherboard rather than actual cards. So we're looking at an AMD Epic CPU surrounded by GPUs. Judging by what we're seeing here now with this third-gen Infinity architecture and unified memory, I think there's a fair chance that this, is, this could be correct. And this is how they're going to go. And also, El Capitan will be using direct liquid cooling, which again makes me think, you know, you can liquid cool this entire thing. I think there's even more evidence of this, but we'll talk about that later on. And there's also uh, slide 26 in Lisa Sue's presentation. 
uh, innocuous at first, but you can see uh, in the graphics uh, block, you can see that there's a uh, like a sort of a sneak peek of a GPU that AMD definitely has not made yet. Well, yeah, I forgot about that, actually. I sort of wrote an article about that because someone posted that to Reddit and they were like, oh, is this a new GPU? Is AMD finally getting rid of the blower cards? We're not sure if that GPU is like a sneak peek of the uh, the next like uh, AMD GPU. But what that did uh, spur was uh, someone asked or, or Scott Herkelman came into the thread for some reason and he was like, hey, our next uh, AMD GPU will not have any blower styles. Let me get the exact quote. There will be, this is what Scott Herkman said, word for word. There will be no blower reference fans for gamers on next gen. For gamers? Yeah, gamer. So, so like basically, like, say like 290X. When you're dealing with a server case, if you don't have a blower card, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. Just so you know, um, it, you could have a passive cooler on it, which still is active cooled by the system fans yeah. that are moving air through a chassis. But having a, a dual fan or a triple fan open card setup in a server case is just not really a good idea. It just disrupts the airflow. Much better to do blowers for servers. That kind of bleeds into into the fact that Lisa kind of sneak peeked the CDNA. So it looks like they're going to split their GPUs lines into consumer line and and data line, data center line. Basically, CDNA looks like the replacement for Vega. And obviously, RDNA is the gaming architecture. We'll get to that point later, though. What I found interesting about that 26 slide that you just talked about there, Matthew, was mm -hmm. top to bottom gaming portfolio. So I think what we're looking at here is, obviously, we're all expecting big Navi anyway, yeah. But I think yeah. there could be a return to when AMD were making three or four different segments in the graphics market. So we're going to have the replacement for Navi 10. We're going to have the replacement for Navi 14, or was it Navi 12? Navi 14. Navi 12 is the one that hasn't launched yet. Navi 12 is the one that hasn't launched yet. Yeah, that, that's the one that, uh, that has the HBM that we don't know about yet. Well, the thing that I really liked was the breakdown of their total addressable market. If we scroll back to slide 19, yeah. it talks about kind of the overall, you know, what's impactful for them as a business. They're looking at a $79 billion total addressable market. And if you look, the data center for CPU and GPU is larger than the entire laptop, desktop, PC market for them. It's pretty interesting, it, actually, yeah. Uh, but remember, they have said that this is for 2023. It's projected for 2023. Well, this is their current total addressable market. They have projected numbers as well. No, I understood that these are the projected 2023 numbers. Oh, yeah, that's right. She was like, this is the addressable market that we're looking at. Call these 2023 numbers. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And you know, that's about 25, well, probably 20 minutes into the presentation, but... You can see data center by far is a large chunk of their total addressable market. And a lot of that is a growing GPU data center market because there's another slide yeah. showing that. And I was surprised at just how large they think that is going to be, something like 13 billion. Yeah. I mean, that is a lot. They actually did call out a breakdown later. I think that was in their data center presentation from Forrest. 
but gaming's still a fairly large market, but it's still less than half the PC market size. So just doing laptops and desktops, it gives them more money than the whole gaming market. And if you notice, they put a Mac in the gaming yeah, section. Yeah, I was going to bring that up. That's a very weird thing to do, isn't it? Oh, it's a cheese grater. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The GPU that they're putting in the Mac, it falls under their gaming category. But the PCs, we're talking pretty much just CPUs in that category and APUs. It's more than double the gaming market. So, of course, with the PCs and data center combined, they're going to focus more on their CPU market than their GPUs. Yeah. Which is probably why we've seen them only hit the 1080p and 1440p markets, which we can talk about a little later, but basically they hit the most popular, the largest volume market that they could, mainly because they could compete there. It was the largest swath of the market. They actually gave percentages. Yeah. And it was, what, 60 and just above 20%. So total of 80-ish percent of the market is 1080p and 1440p gaming. So everyone that's clamoring for these 2080 Ti cards, they're only 20%, maybe 25% of the market. And that's a generous amount. Now, if I can return to uh, CPUs again, and slide 21 uh, in Lisa's slide deck, actually, this is about GPU as well, but slide 21 I found very interesting because Zen 3 is now just noted as 7 nanometers, whereas up until this point, it was always 7 nanometers plus. And they have also confirmed, finally, Genoa Zen 4 as 5 nanometers. I had a leak uh, two or three years ago saying that. And uh, also RDNA, RDNA 2 is 7 nanometers, but RDNA 3 is on an advanced node. And again, over at Anantech, yeah. they got some kind of clarification here. Well, the quote from Papermaster during the Q&A section at the end, yeah, they said that the slide change, the, the question was about the slide changes from 7 nanometer plus to just 7 nanometer. And the answer was that it was a nomenclature thing. And that the 7 nanometer plus features got rolled into the 7 nanometer base process. I don't understand how that can be the case because you're talking, I mean, 7 nanometers plus was supposed to be all about EUV. Four metal layers done in EUV is from what I was told. And so that was literally it. But there's three different flavors of N7, yeah? We've got the normal N7. Maybe they didn't specify if there were other changes coming with that EUV focus process. And then they decided, well, let's not make these changes exclusive to this EUV process. Let's put them in the other seven nanometer uh, nodes as well. Yeah. I mean, when Intel does 14 nanometer plus, 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 they, they're not doing an EUV change. They're just improving the process yeah. in other ways. And this renaming could very well be part of that of it's no longer just seven nanometer plus. They have a separate seven nanometer EUV or something, but as far as seven nanometer is concerned, it just backported. There's three versions that we know of so far. You've got N7, and that's the basic seven nanometers, which Zen 2 is built on. But also N7P, which is the second generation, but it's, it's based on the same N7. It's just second generation, and I think it's got about 7% performance improvement or 10% power at the same performance. 
So it's a very minor, it's like, it's like a plus in Intel's case. That's what Navi 10 was built on. So even though Zen 2 was the base N7, Navi 10 is actually built on N7P. And N7 Plus was supposed to be the EUV version, which is different. That requires a new design because you need, to, you need a new design for the metal layers, the EUV metal layers. So I found this very interesting that up until now, everybody expected Zen 3 to be built on this N7 Plus, the EUV node. But now they are saying, and according to Anantec, if we just find down the bottom, Anantec were told that AMD will use EUV on a case-by-case -case basis. So they're not, but they're not actually making you any... You think that might be what the advanced node is referring to? That's another thing. I mean, what is that all about, this advanced node? It must either be 7 EUV or 5. Well, it can't be 5 or else they would have just said 5 because they already got that in the slide. I was just saying that maybe they haven't yet decided that part. They they keep it open. Well, it might just be kicked down the road far enough that it might be a five nanometer plus node or something. I was thinking that maybe they were opening themselves up to maybe using Samsung. Now, judging by what we've heard about Samsung seven nanometer, this might not be too likely. But it could be possible that they're wondering about Samsung or even Global Foundries, but I doubt that. Or they're trying to think, well, do we really need five nanometers? Do we really need seven nanometers with EUV? Should we just stick with seven nanometers? I think they don't want to give too much information to NVIDIA at this point. It's either 5 plus or it's 7 EUV. And 5 plus is also going to be, sorry, 5 nanometers is also EUV, except it's got something like 11 metal layers, I think. That's what I think it's all about. We do know one thing, at least. If you notice, the top end is 2022. So these should all be out by 2022 end. And even when Forrest was talking about the El Capitan, he was saying that the system is based on AMD CPUs and GPUs shipping in 2022. And we all already know that, and from him, it was Genoa that it's based on. So are they going to be shipping our DNA 3 with that as well? Probably. Probably. The thing that I found most interesting about all of this was, and I'm pulling up Forrest Norod's presentation now, Third gen AMD Epic at slide number 23 Milan, expected to continue performance leadership, shipping late 2020. So if it's shipping in late 2020, this is a 2021 part, yeah? So we're not yeah. going to see this yeah. in 20, 2020. I just don't see how it's possible. But this is for Epic, mind you. This is for Epic, though. This is the thing. This is my point here. Because they said that Zen 3... Ryzen, the next generation Ryzen is coming later this year. They didn't say late or shipping. They said Ryzen's coming later this year or Zen 3. Yeah. So I am thinking, remember the theory I had about this um, N7P? I actually talked about it in a video, which was AMD versus Intel, the past, the present and near future, where I talked about AMD perhaps uses this N7P process and sort of like backports Zen 3 to this N7P. But just for Ryzen, for Epic though, that is EUV. And that would fit in with this case-by-case -case basis that AMD were talking about over at Anantec. There's not enough production there, I don't think, for EUV right now. It's something that's going to ramp up over time. And I think it will probably be 5 nanometers before you know, you're talking really mass production. But that does mean though, the smaller production parts like Epic, like Big Navi, they can go onto this EUV node. 
but the you know the the chips that are selling in volume, the likes of your Ryzen's, and even your lower end navies, they perhaps go into this N7P node, and obviously the game consoles will be staying on the old seven nanometer node because you know, cheap is what counts when it comes to the game consoles. So that is my theory. The slide did call out RDNA two as being on seven nanometer. It didn't say EUV or any of that, so maybe there's some leeway there. It's the same 7 nanometer moniker that they gave is Zen 3. But wait a minute, didn't Mark Papermaster say? The timestamp in my video at 59 minutes, 23 seconds, Papermaster said that Zen 3 was coming out late this year. Didn't say later, late. And that kind of lines up with the whole... November, December time frame to kind of synchronize with the console launches. I think that we'll see it on the desktop before then. I would hope so. Not an awful lot before it. Uh, but I think the, the important thing is like it won't be EUV. I am absolutely certain that it won't be the 7 nanometer plus yeah. node. There's nothing saying they can't do like RDNA 2 on EUV and have desktop and server beyond just normal seven. Well, that nanometer. was my analysis. However, over at Anantec again, and this other, they've got an article from the 5th of March here, and it says that AMD has indicated that this year's RDNA 2 will not be using TSMC's EUV-based 7 nanometer plus process. So they must be sticking to the same 7 nanometer or 7P, unless this is maybe just a bit of analysis by Ryan that's maybe not quite on point. I mean, that looks like it well, won't be EUV node. If their yield rates are significantly better than dealing with larger dyes like RDNA 2 is going to be, it makes sense. I guess it, by this point, we're really just waiting and seeing now. In fine print at the bottom of the slide, it says, date subject to change. Let's hope it's uh, in the moving up direction. Because <laughs> you know? I'd hate for them to start going to an 18-month cadence for releases. Yeah, it's kind of looking like that, though, isn't it? If RDNA 2 isn't EUV, then that 50% efficiency gain is really impressive. It's all architecture, yeah. That's a Maxwell tier uh, amount of efficiency gain for the same or almost yeah. the same node. Well, and that's what Maxwell was, right? When they talk about that 50%, they are in fact talking... David Wang's presentation noted 50% on top of RDNA 1, which to me was the big news of the entire, yeah. the entire presentation. Because that, that's just massive. Even if that is EUV, that's still quite a bit, 50%. Imagine how much low-hanging fruit they have if that isn't EUV. Yeah. They could get more efficiency just by uh, the next gen going to EUV. Or more likely 5 nanometers, I think. Although 5 nanometers isn't looking at being a particularly awesome node. Maybe looking at 20% performance improvement. If I were to speculate, I would say that the RDNA 2 will be only an architecture improvement on RDNA and they might leave the node the same. Yeah, I think that's what they're going to do. Because we know the RDNA has some GCN inside and that kind of keeps it back, keeps it, makes it less power efficient. So, and because he's talking here about power efficiency, I would say that this, this might be achieved by architecture alone, possibly. I think it has to be. I mean, if they're not going on EUV, they're certainly not going to go back to the, the base 7 nanometers. So they must be staying on 7P or maybe some like another slight, you know, update, another plus on that. But it's not going to be huge increases. 
or anything like that. So this 50% that Wang's talking about, that's that looks like architecture to me, which as Matthew said, <laughs> that is absolutely massive. That is Maxwell level. Well, they did get a nice influx of cash from Samsung to help make mobile. And efficient GPUs is exactly what they need. So, yeah. And it looks like that's what they got. And now with the split between RDNA and CDNA, they don't need to kind of have a master of all trades uh, kind of a cards. They can concentrate on having only the features that consumers need and then move off and kind of separate uh, the architecture into two. Yeah. David talked about that on slide five of his presentation. And, you know, this is just something I want to talk about just a little bit because I think a long time ago in the past, I mentioned that this was a real problem for AMD. When Maxwell came out, NVIDIA had practically, you know, they had split the two segments. You now had a real gaming GPU in Maxwell and you had their compute, the their Teslas, the Volta. So they had two chips to do those two specific jobs. AMD, however, GCN is a really a general purpose architecture, which had to game and it had to be compute focused as well. <laughs> you just cannot win. How does one general purpose GPU beat two targeted specific GPUs? It doesn't. That's why they lost. That's why they lost them both. And now with RDNA 2 and also CDNA, they, they are now basically on par with NVIDIA again in terms of doing what they need to do to actually win. I mean, judging by what we've seen, if this 50% uplift is actually true, this is AMD's Maxwell moment, and uh, it's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens the rest of this year because I don't think NVIDIA was expecting it, and, well, I certainly wasn't expecting it either. Did you see on slide 13 of the GPU presentation that uh, David did? They actually called out specifically compute slash tensor ops. I missed that one, actually, yeah. I know they're talking a lot more about machine learning. Uh, so obviously you're going to need some kind of tensor in there as well. So they might have something the equivalent of tensor cores in their cDNA architecture. Yeah, that's certainly, I mean, nothing can be worse than Vega. Yeah, so this is likely going to be very, <laughs> very good, in fact, I would suggest. It's going to be based on Navi, but... That's why Hot and Loud was in the running for the podcast name. <laughs> that was the first thing that came to my mind, yeah, Hot and Loud. I also did want to say about RDNA 2, it is clearly a big uh, architectural rework because they're adding uh, ray tracing. And that that's not a small thing to add. You can see the ray tracing on, on slide 12, hardware yeah. accelerated ray tracing. What do you think of that screenshot? I don't think that looks amazing. Well, let's put it this way. It was rendered using DXR11 on RDNA2 silicon. It wasn't played. It wasn't real-time played. It was rendered. That might not be true, actually. They uh, they say in the presentation that they have a demo of that. Uh, they had a demo there of it, of it working. In real time? I, I don't know. I don't know if they said if it was in real time, but, but they said that they did have a demo where you could well, see it. Well, the, the demo was a video. If they have the demo machine, then maybe it is in real time. I saw on Reddit, I believe it was, somebody's confirming that the, the video was, that the demo was a video of this playing. Hmm. And let me put it this way, uh, knowing how the RTX performs and the kind of uh, effort NVIDIA seems to throw at, at it market-wise. Uh, we know that this is this technology is very promising, but it's still at the very early beginnings. So even if this comes into AMD as well, it 
probably won't get a lot of traction. It's just the first steps. Yeah. So I am not particularly excited about this. It's nice that they have it too. I think you have to always make the first step. But I mean, it, it will take still a few years before we can really play a ray-traced game. Yeah, for well, sure. Well, there are the consoles. You have to remember the consoles. Am I the only one that thinks the reflection on the water looks weird? The water looks weird? No, the, the red reflection on the water looks like it's out of place. Yeah, there's something uh, just a little bit weird about the whole scene that I'm looking at. Yeah. It just doesn't quite look right to me. But AMD does need to get this right, and it needs to be really good because this is going to go into the next generation consoles. So I would expect that this is the moment where it's either a make or break. If it doesn't work with this, then that's going to be really unfortunate because this is going to dictate a lot of the how, how games work with ray tracing because of the consoles. But are the next-gen consoles targeted at 4K 60 frames? I think so, yeah. I think in the teaser video, Phil Spencer and some other people will talk about a 4K and 60 frames, I think maybe at the same time. So you think they, they, am, they are able to do that? I have doubts. I don't know if they can do 4K, 60 frames, and ray tracing, but they can probably do 4K and 60. Oh, yeah, yeah, but I mean, I meant ray tracing, sorry. Maybe they can do 1080p in ray tracing. Yeah, or 30p, 30 frames in, in ray tracing mode. No, if they, can't, if they can only do 1080p, uh, 30 frames a second with ray tracing, that's really bad. Even if it's on the console, that's really bad. But wait, didn't Mark Papermaster say something about they were trying to bring this in without like huge performance penalties. Like it wouldn't really, you know, it would just be like normal, like nothing like RTX. That's something they've said for a very long time where True. they want to introduce it to all their GPUs and they yeah. want it to, oh, I can't remember the exact words they said, but I think they were alluding to like the performance hit where you basically need a really fast GPU in order to use it. And they want to bring it to all of their segments. So I think that they just want to be in the game. I don't think they they are actually claiming that you will play ray traced games even on console at least not at the same parameters that you play your normal games at 4k 60 there's no way it's going to be like a full scene ray traced it will be similar to what we see with rta like shadows yeah. shadows and reflections yeah just painted ray tracing like we currently see with the rtx stuff well we'll see i guess i hope it's smart i hope they do it in the places where it matters and leave it out where it doesn't because the current rtx implementation i'm not a huge fan of it I am a fan of it, actually. I mean, it's the only thing they could do, NVIDIA. So they've done yeah. the only thing they could do, which is why I'm a fan of it. And they actually went ahead and did it. So, uh, yeah. And if you look at that game, Control, that looks pretty good, yeah? I think Control was a really good showcase for, for the technology. And it will get better over time. It has, like, temporal artifacts, so it has, like, a jelly effect. There is that as well. There are certain things with the denoiser that you can't avoid right now, I don't think. But, again, it is nascent technology, so hopefully it gets better in the next iteration. Yeah, it's about that latency. But moving on to a different topic, going back to Lisa's slide deck, I thought slide 22 was an interesting one as well. And this commitment to advanced process nodes and early adoption of industry-leading manufacturing. So, I mean, obviously, they are miles first on 7 nanometers, way ahead of NVIDIA, way ahead of Intel, and they intend to drive forward with this. And, you know, this is what ATI of old used to do on the graphics cards. The old ATI, they were always first to the new node, and it looks like AMD have got a kind of hunger for this now. And in fact, I mean, I maybe don't give this enough credit, but 
what EMD has done on seven, getting there so early and getting all these products out, it is absolutely incredible the job they've done. Yeah, they really have. And I believe that they'll just keep on going. That's what I'm seeing. I've never seen so many confident people on stage than I saw during this uh, financial analyst day. I've never, even Lisa, sometimes Lisa can look a little bit nervous, but she was completely relaxed. Yep. Well, if you had this kind of product stack backing you up, I yeah. think anyone could be confident. It's not just the stuff they've got. It's the stuff they know they've got coming as well. Yeah, and that's the exciting part. 3D packaging coming next. I mean, imagine you're Intel and you're looking at this. When does this end? Yeah, we've already just been like punched by chiplets. First of all, it was the MCM thing. Then they went with chiplets. And now you're looking at 3D packaging, stacked dies, HVM on top of GPUs. <laughs> now, to be fair to Intel, they are Intel does have a 3D stack uh, technology, but that only works with stuff like Lakefield. It's very good as well, in fact. Yeah, but Lakefield's only like... What TDP is Lakefield? Isn't it only like 5 watts? It goes up to 25 watts, I think. Really? That seems yeah. really high for Lakefield. I think it goes to 25. It seems real high because the performance isn't that good. Uh, <laughs> I'm seeing 7... Seven watts. Seven watts. We might not know. We might. I think not it know. goes as far as twenty-eight. Are you sure you're not thinking of Ice Lake? Because it does have an an Ice Lake core, but it's only one Ice Lake core. I could be. Yeah, maybe that's what I'm thinking about. Oh yeah, uh, Wiki Chip, five watt and seven watt TDP. Right. Okay. And that's probably because not not only because it has the uh, atom cores in there, which aren't supposed to consume that much power, but also because uh, there are uh, cooling considerations to be made. And that's probably the biggest challenge of die stacking is how you cool it. Well, that is exactly it. But as we know, AMD has filed patents for 3D die stacking and they show memory on top of logic layers, which didn't really make sense to me. I would have thought you'd put the memory on top of the IO die rather than directly on top of like the GPU or the, the CPU. Because obviously the IO die should be a lot cooler. No, I was thinking that they were going to do this by... You remember all the, these demos we've been seeing of like submerged like servers? Like not... I don't know if it's oil. I don't think it's oil or, or mineral water, but it's like some kind of liquid that's really good at like, cooling them. And the heat's like boils off. I was thinking that maybe die stacking, you could do it by doing that. It's possible. But whatever they're doing, they appear to be miles ahead again of Intel. And yeah. probably even NVIDIA in this case. So, I mean, they're doing it in all fronts, yeah? I mean, I know I give them a hell of a hard time, but when it comes to their engineering stuff, it's like they've moved up a level to a completely different level. And they talk about, you know, being an execution machine. If Milan's 18 months or it's maybe maybe it's slipping a little bit, but I mean, the way they've been executing recently is just phenomenal. And that's at a significant R&D disadvantage which they don't have anymore because they're spending more money. The more money they make, the more they put into R&D. Yeah, and that's the other exciting thing is now that they're definitely cash positive with a lot of liquidity, they can just start pouring more into R&D and we'll definitely see what they'll come up with. I think the exciting thing is that they can actually try some of their more wild ideas that they are a little more risky on rather than having to just only do the ones that they're for sure that it's going to work and bet the farm on it. And also, if they have something like another bulldozer or another Vega, it might not put the company into an extremely perilous position. Well, they'd be able to afford to hit the eject button on it, to be honest. But Mark Papermaster, I love listening to Mark when he gets up there and talks. I could listen to Mark Papermaster talk about tech all day. 
he talks a lot about the silicon side of things, which I find absolutely fascinating, obviously. And uh, he's another one who's done a fantastic job. But what I found interesting on his presentation started on slide five. We know about the CPU leapfrogging design teams. Yeah. Yep. Zen, yeah. Didn't we already but, know about that? But there's now a CPU and GPU leapfrogging design team. Oh, GPU. Yeah. I don't think we've ever seen that before. So that's new. Yeah, that was new. So they're doing the same thing there. And this should really help them to, you know, motor on with this. Maybe not a TikTok type thing, but RDNA 2, RDNA 3. I didn't even know there was going to be an RDNA 3 until the presentation. But yeah, they seem to be getting their act together in GPU now as well. Also in the Mark Papermaster presentation at slide 13, I think this is really indicative. This uh, this node comparison is very indicative of, uh, I, I guess, their, want, their need to uh, stay ahead of the competition. Like, they have massively overestimated Intel, in my opinion. I enjoyed this slide immensely because I'm making like 100 statements in every video, yeah? And... So somebody's going to laser focus on the one thing that they disagree with. Yeah, this happens every single video. And in one video, we are, I think I said TSM 7 nanometer was just better than Intel's 10. And I've got a bunch of people saying, no, 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 no. Wikichip says this, Intel's is denser, blah, blah, blah. Well, now we can see that AMD quite clearly says it's clearly better than Intel's 10 nanometers, TSMC 7. And the thing here is, you can see it just by looking at the products, yeah, because... The uh, Ryzen Mobile 4000 series, the Ryzen 7 4800U up against the i7-1065G7. So that's the ice lake, yeah. 4% better single thread performance, 90% better multi-thread performance because it's got eight cores up against four cores on the Intel CPU and it's still got 28% better graphics. And these are at 15 watts. I mean, okay, Zen is a very efficient architecture, but it's not so much more efficient that you can double the number of cores and still stay within the same 15 watt envelope? No chance. Is it that much more efficient than Ice Lake? It's simply not possible. TSMC 7 nanometers is definitely a lot better in terms of characteristics, not just yield. Obviously, Intel's 10 nanometer just cannot yield. But in terms of characteristics, it is miles ahead because that's the only way the eight cores or 16 threads against eight threads makes any kind of sense. It must be much, much better. But when you remember, uh, this slide is really important for understanding that AMD always overestimates Intel because they thought Intel 10 nanometer was going to be on par with TSMC 7 nanometers. So they designed to make sure that their architecture, uh, they, they basically were like, okay, well, it's going to be an arc versus arc battle and it ended up not being that. It was uh, the, 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 the improvements with Zen 2 were just salt in the wound. And yeah. now they're expecting 7 nanometer Intel to be on par with five nanometer TSMC. And we it, there's a chance we could just see a, a, the same thing happen again. There's no chance that Intel seven nanometers will be close to TSMC's five nanometers. That's what I think, because Intel themselves are saying, wait for their five nanometers. They, they say that, I, I can't remember the exact quote. They're saying that uh, their seven nanometers will get them around to parity or something. And then their five nanometers will get them back up to leadership. So even Intel isn't confident that that it's going to be uh, close enough for leadership. At best, we are looking at parity. You heard them admit that they overextended themselves with 10 nanometer and that they went too aggressive and that they, ongoing, they're actually going to pull that back. They already did. Yeah, yeah but... The reason why it's always been the whole 
you know, 12 nanometers equivalent to their 14 and things like that is because they have always been aggressive with their node shrinks. But if they're pulling back, no longer being as aggressive with 10 nanometer and going forward, then maybe we'll actually start to see some parity between Intel 7 nanometer versus TSMC 7 nanometer rather than just assuming that 5 nanometer is equivalent to 7 nanometer Intel or something of that nature. I would agree with that. I believe Intel 7 will be around about on par with TSMC 7 and not much better. If it's better, it won't be yeah. in anything like this full node that, they, that they're trying to claim. Yeah, because their 10 is clearly not as good as TSMC 7. Not even close. And they don't have the architecture. Well, we don't know that. Their architecture might actually be uh, pretty decent. It's just clouded by the terrible node. Not true, it could be. Well, when you have to disable half the chip. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't, uh, Ice Lake, I'm not too familiar with Ice Lake performance, but isn't it pretty competitive with Intel's 14 nanometers despite having a significant clock deficit? They've got very good IPC, yeah? They've got a good IPC gain. Who knows? Anyways, it's Intel. Yeah, and we already know that they're not going to be able to hit the same clocks that they've been hitting oh, yeah. with 14, and that's partly their problem. They've gone so far that they've been hitting, you know, 5 gigahertz as their base clock. You know, it's Pentium 4 all over again. And moving on, slide 16, um, maybe one for Aurelian. You were interested in this whole yes. CPU, GPU <clears throat> memory coherency. As a programmer, I guess, yeah. it's something that's really important to, well, programs yeah so this as as all the other topics they have been touched by basically all the presenters and to be honest looking at uh, lisa's slides 15 and 16 i think that actually the better slides to look at are in fact uh, forest's slides number 32 and 33 which basically same say the same story but i think in those slides the story is a bit better explained Unlocking accelerated computing, yeah. Right, those. Yeah. So if you look at those slides, you could see that in the traditional way, the data, you have the data that lives in the CPUs, and then you have the data that goes for the GPUs, and you have to always back and forth there. So you have to move data back and forth as you make the requests and prepare the data, send the data for processing on the GPU side, and then wait for results. And, and this is an iteration all the time. And, and you need to worry about that when you're writing your code or, or your software stack has to worry about it. And then you move on to this uh, CDNA architecture that they're mentioning. The next step is that the data on GPU side, it kind of, it's one set of data and it's shared via this infinity fabric on all the, all the GPUs. So you don't have to, to manage it on a per GPU it kind of hides that. It provides an abstraction there, at least looking at this slide. If I can just interrupt you there. Um, yeah, go ahead. This is, actually, this is actually the master plan, isn't it? Because unifying the data is really what you need for the multi-GPU. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I missed Absolutely. this until now. Yeah. I mean, if they're talking eight cards acting as one, I don't know if they're going to be able to do that in in our DNA right enough, or if they even would want to do that on the desktop or for gaming. But yeah, this, is, this could be quite, quite something. If you notice in their diagram, they only have uh, four-way communication between these eight devices rather than a full eight-way communication. So there, there is going to be a little bit of a trade-off here, similar to what we saw 
with uh, like Threadripper second gen. Where... Zen one, yeah. But it is very important. I mean, any programmer that knows a bit of programming looking at this is getting their hair rising on their backs when you see these things because it's big. And, and the bigger step is actually lower in the next slide, in the slide number 33 from Forrest's presentation. And there you see the same same image that was the cDNA that is now, now on the left side. And then they make cDNA2. And there you see unified data. You don't anymore have CPU data and GPU data. You have just data. And the way it flows between, between the CPU and GPU and instructions you need to provide there and the way the software stack needs to be written there. It's probably going to be much thinner at the API level. And it will have some kind of logic there in the in the driver level slash firmware level. But this will enable you to write and to develop uh, software and kind of for big data in a way that you were not able, uh, that it was very difficult to do before. You don't have to anymore ma uh, manage memory that way. It's impressive. If, if they get to do this, it's uh, going to be, what's the word? Game changer. Well, the thing is, it's going to cause a little bit of ripple on the programming side, too, because people will have to start programming in this new mindset. But this simplifies things, so it should be easy to adopt. Yeah. It, it should, and especially if they have proper APIs and stuff for yeah. it that make it simple. But people are going to have to start writing in this new way because it, up until this point, people have been really efficient at coming up with inventive ways to make the current methods work yep. and work fast yep. and you know, this has the potential to rewrite all of that make all of those hacks no longer a valid thing and have you able to just hit the ground running with the new api and have all of this coherency yeah and that's just one side of the story the easy to program part but if you read this it's improved performance so that also might gain them let's call it I don't know if IPC is correct in this term when you mix GPU and CPU, but anyway, better performance per watt at least. Uh, you can squeeze more juice from your hardware. If you go back and look at Papermaster's uh, slide 16, they show relative performance on a chart showing PCIe Gen 3 and 4. This is two and a quarter times yes. better than yes. PCIe Gen 4, which tells me that they're probably using the same like PCIe lane technology and just ramping up the speed. It's dealing with some reduced latency as well. So that might be where the, the quarter uh, multiplier comes in. This might be what Jim said in the beginning when he mentioned these kind of uh, chips that are not any more different cards that the GPU itself is on the same PCB with the uh, CPU, if I can say that. So the latencies will be very low, the bandwidth would be very high, everything you need. And then you have unified memory. Well, here's the thing. If it's all on the same chip, they have a very tight control over it, which suggests that they might just be implementing the PCIe Gen 5 architect for their Infinity Fabric. We're expecting Gen 5 for Genoa. So this could just very well just be PCIe Gen 5 lanes. It's very likely, I agree. Yeah. I was gonna say that uh, with this uh, coherency thing, we could probably see that on El Capitan. Maybe only the cDNA one with the second gen Infinity Architecture for Frontier, but I think there's a good chance we'll see cDNA two and Infinity Architecture third generation 
on El Capitan. I think they alluded to that, that El Capitan will have yeah. this. Yeah. And it's very likely that Frontier will be CDNA. Yeah, CDNA 2 is projected to be 2022 as well. And so it's going to have that same correlation with Genoa for El Capitan. It, like they said, it, when they design these supercomputers and they win bids, it's based on their history of delivering on their roadmaps. And since they've been solidly hitting their roadmap every single time, it's probably what partly won them this bid, not to mention just their overall performance. And Aurora is like Q4 2021. So El Capitan's going to be coming uh, very soon after. So it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think we're all pretty sure that AMD is going to win in terms of not just performance, but like the overall design of their uh, CPU and GPU combo. You and I know how bad XE is, though, don't we? So I think we can say that for certain. But it's going to be interesting to see how close Intel gets in terms of performance, design, uh, scalability, that that kind of stuff. Because I don't want to compare it just performance because, you know, budgets affect that, size affects that. If they put more money into El Capitan than Aurora, then, of course, AMD has a better chance of winning. But I'm really curious to see... Uh, how uh, Intel's CPUs and GPUs interact, and if that's going to be anywhere near what AMD is promising. In my eyes, at least for me, just to finish with this one, for me, this is the big news. IA3, I'm actually excited about that yeah, from a from a personal perspective. Yeah, it does look like it's just yet another advance, one in a very long list of advances that AMD seem to be making. And the last thing we can talk about, I guess, for the financial analyst day was Rick Bergman, who is the EVP of Computing Graphics. He was up and it was mostly a kind of marketing presentation in his case. But I thought yeah. slide 14 and 17, those were pretty interesting because they showed the momentum that AMD's platforms are getting, especially in laptops. And the yeah. interesting thing about it was this is all based on Zen Plus and Zen, yeah? This is, yeah. This is before Zen 2 even you know, is even in laptops. Yeah, you can get the chips now, but all these advances... Actually, you can't get Ren Renoir yet. Renoir still isn't out yet. It's still not out yet? No, it isn't. I've been waiting so long. It'll be shipping to the OEMs <laughs> for systems. Um, oh, yeah, it's shipping, but... Yeah. Yeah. That little Asus with the ROG on the back with the That's LEDs. That's what I want. <laughs> it's either that or the Lenovo. What I thought was pretty nice is they're talking about battery life. 17 hours of laptop use. I really hope that's more than just playing a YouTube video. That is pretty incredible. Because AMD has suffered a lot from like idle power draw. Mobile is their best market, but that's actually technologically probably their, their weakest. What's helping them is their low price. But if they can get the low price and the really good performance and the good efficiency, then it's just going to be an absolute massacre. And I hope that it is because I don't want to buy an Intel again. Well, and here's the thing. It, notebooks, they said, are 64% of their total addressable market for PC. Yeah. I mean, 64% is a lot. And to start getting these kind of laptop wins and to be considered a premium CPU and make it into the high-end, the high-margin laptops, and when, it, that's pretty incredible. Because they've already won the low-end laptops. Like on campus... Uh, I see quite a few AMD laptops, like where where they didn't take off the stickers, but they kept them on. It's quite common to see an AMD laptop. 
And the thing that might uh, happen too with the higher end laptops. And finally, for Rick and for the financial analyst day would be slide 27. I just had to talk about this one because it mentioned Navi 2X. And I can't help but get the feeling that this means Navi 2X, Navi 10, or I believe that big Navi is going to be twice as fast as the 5700 XT, which makes it going to be about 50% faster than a 2080 Ti. I think that's a little bit optimistic. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> but but we can we can expect anywhere between 50% and 100%. Look at the language on this slide. Extreme performance with efficient power. And yeah. when was the last time you saw anything like that coming out of AMD? Graphics. Well, we do know it's 50% over what our DNA currently is. Yeah. yeah. So it, at least performance per watt. And you know, I took the 2X not to mean two times, but to encompass Navi 20. That was also an option, yeah. Or those kind of nomenclatures. So all of those dies. Yeah, yeah, it's certainly possible. It, the X is just a placeholder for a sub number for their different parts that are going to cover this entire product stack. It could well be because if you look at the next slide, slide 28, we can see that RDNA 3 has Navi 3X. So yeah, yeah. maybe Navi 30, yeah. stuff like that. I'm willing to put my neck on the line and say that Navi will be twice as fast. Or the, big, the fastest Navi that AMD releases will be twice as fast as a 5700 XT. And I think that bodes very, very well for the game consoles as well. Well, considering the 5700 XT isn't necessarily the fastest Navi 1X that they could have made, I think it's quite possible that we could see the highest end Navi 2 actually have twice the performance. Yeah, I think it will. I think it will. And you can also consider the die size because they have quite a bit of room. If they just want to go all out and like just throw everything down and to make the fastest GPU they could possibly make, they have like over 500 millimeters squared of die space they could use. I think Jim actually said it in his last video where he's like, it just come out with the card. You don't even have to sell it. Just give it to reviewers to review and benchmark. Oh, the evil Jim. Yeah, the evil Jim, yeah. Yeah, the evil Jim. Just have this Halo product that just totally decimates, but it's so expensive you wouldn't actually produce it to sell, except for to maybe uh, professionals or something like that. But let the reviewers review it so that they have this just utterly decimating card. You can think of it like the uh, non-existent Intel Xeon, right? If it was good. What you basically described there was the Radeon 7 without the performance. So, I mean, they've done it before. They could even do what Intel did and say, oh yeah, we'll produce it if you want to special order it in batches over a thousand. You know, <laughs> that, that's how they're selling their glued together Cascade Lake. Is there something wrong with doing that? Limited edition? I mean, yeah, it's a bit of a gray area, obviously, but... The Lisa Sue Signature Series. There you go. This is what Intel and NVIDIA have been doing for years. And I think, yeah. I really do think AMD needs to follow suit. I mean, nobody's going to fall for it, yeah? But they'd have their Halo product. They wouldn't have to go into debt trying to make it on a regular basis. They would just have a limited, like the Cyberpunk card, a, a limited 66-card run or something. I don't know. I entered into that competition. Anyone else? No, I didn't bother. It wasn't worth selling my product information, you know, personal, who knows what. Do you know? No, no. All you have to do is you go to the tweet and yeah, you follow NVIDIA, which I already do, and... uh and you tag you tag another gamer, and that's what I did. did does anyone want to guess what a uh, gamer I tagged? Any, any guesses? PewDiePie. 
<laughs> the the game ride tag starts with that letter though. His name starts with that letter. There must be a lot of gamers starting the letter P Matthew, yeah? No, it's a famous gamer. It's a, a famous gamer. Uh I uh I tagged the Pope. The Pope? Yeah. Do you not do you not remember the thing where uh, some YouTuber gave the Pope Undertale? <laughs> no. <laughs> you don't remember? <laughs> I don't remember that but, one though. But, but that's who I tagged. I actually bought Undertale a few weeks ago. If I win, I might have to change my religion. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so to the final part of the podcast, and I guess, Matthew, this is one that you really wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah. Th this is a little bonus. Let's finish on this then. If it's true, I just don't know what to say. Uh, I need to pull this thing up. While you're pulling that up, I wanted to mention one thing real quick out of the podcast. Did you guys catch Forrest Norad at about two hours, 16 minutes in? He said that they had predictable execution to market. Yeah. And he, he under his breath almost is like, and that's in high relief to uneven execution of others in this segment. You know, Forrest's got a little bit of needle about him. I've noticed this in one or two of his presentations. He's not scared of sticking it to Intel. Oh, I love that. You remember when they revealed uh, Rome in uh, November 2018 and he was like, it's just not a fair competition. Yeah. yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> One Rome against two Intels, it's just not fair. And then it was also, and this is not water cooled uh, as well, because remember, that was just after that crazy stunt with Intel and the chiller that they did. Okay. Water chilled, not water cooled. So, this rumor, the, this Intel rumor, that this came up just before we, we started the podcast. So, you might remember that uh, Jim and I leaked that 10 nanometer desktop CPUs were not going to happen. But there has there seems to be evidence that Alder Lake S, which is slash was a 10 nanometer CPU, presumed to be a backport that we, we figured it was canceled. Well, now new rumors suggest that not only does Alder Lake S exist and is coming, but it is also going to have eight 10 nanometer Alder Lake cores in addition to eight 10 nanometer Atom cores from the Gracemont architecture. So it's a big little design. I don't know what I think about this rumor. Why would they be going with some kind of power conservative mode for desktop CPUs? I mean, I can see something like this for maybe a laptop, but why a desktop? Based on the same die though, aren't they? So the laptop and desktop dies are the same. Let's assume I was wrong and that this is exists and it is for desktop and that's going to replace like the, the 9900K. Well, the TDP tells us it's for desktop. You're not going to have a 125-watt laptop part unless if it's a desktop replacement. I mean, I can maybe see it for small form factor or ultra-small form factor, but you stick this in a mid-tower, I don't see this as a replacement for anything but you know, somewhere in the 9900K region. Yeah, it's the S series. So they're both laptop and uh, desktop chips, but they'll be 45 watts, maybe 35 watts laptops, like the best quality silicon. But even in a laptop, Intel is an enigma. It's impossible to understand. I mean, eight Atom cores, eight x86 cores. This smells of desperation. Atom is only more efficient than their desktop cores up until a certain point. And you also have to factor in, they can only clock so high. So why not just make a 10 or 12 core Alder Lake instead of adding on what are likely to be eight useless cores? 
Well, more than that is they already have power gating and individual clocking, things like that, where they could just have their eight normal cores stay at 50% clock speed and get the same kind of performance and power savings out of it because they don't have to have this entire second half of the die lit up. Yeah, what if they do that? Yeah. I mean, they already have this technology in their existing CPUs. Secretly, if this is true, I guess it's not secret anymore because I'm saying this. But if this is true, it's going to be really funny to me. It's just a shame that it would also mean that I'm wrong. But if I'm wrong, this is the way I'd want to be wrong. You want to be wrong like this if you're going to be wrong, yeah. Something we could have never have expected. I'm the same. I've long said we would not see any 10 nanometer Intel desktop CPUs. But if they release this, then that makes up for me being wrong. Imagine if our sources were like, they they were aware of this and they were like, it's not desktop. Come on. They wouldn't be that dumb. Yeah. And it ends up being like, <laughs> they're so confident because they overestimated Intel. But I don't know what to make of this. And there is also some Rocket Lake stuff that it is eight cores and a backport. I still don't know if I believe that. Backport to 14 nanometers. Backporting a Willow Cove onto 14 nanometers, but it only goes up to eight cores. I don't know if I believe that. I think I talked uh, about it in a video. I can believe the backport. Well, desperation is pretty hard to forecast, we'll say. I could believe the backport. I can't believe that they would only do eight cores. I believe that rumor more than the Alder Lake one, because I just can't imagine anything yielding. I mean, even eight big cores and eight little cores. And that's going to have graphics as well, I guess. Although it may well be separate, like, like we saw, separate graphics chip. Well, I didn't leak, but I also confirmed. Well, I sort of leaked the Rocket Lake a separate IGPU thing. If they're really only doing Rocket Lake with eight cores, then they're expecting that IGPU to make a difference. And it won't. No. It won't matter. So looking through that Twitter thread, though, there's quite a lot of... I mean, there's Charlie talking about it, said that this rumor's yeah. been floating for more than a week, but he hasn't been able to confirm it. At the bottom, apparently, it's this guy Shark Bay who's got a really good record on Intel yeah. leaks. Basically flawless, according to Charlie. He, he was the guy that originally leaked the Rocket Lake thing with the eight cores. I think he later said, I could be wrong in this. I think he later said that it might not only be eight cores. I think he said that he was mistaken that it only went up, but that he couldn't be sure. I don't know the guy. I mean, I'm not really been following this too closely to know for sure, but I'm not going to be surprised if this is if this is true. Oh my god, if this is true, Intel, what are you doing? Maybe they have it meant for a target that we aren't thinking about right now. Yeah, if this exists, and it, even if it's socketed, I would still be surprised if this is like Intel uh, 11th or 12th gen Core i12, 13900, whatever. Maybe they're getting back into phones. <laughs> With the 8 core. <laughs> You're just powering it wrong. 125 watt phone. This is LGA 1700. That's 500 more pins than Comet Lake. This is an absolutely huge uh, CPU. 110 nanometers? Hmm. Yeah. 150 okay. watts TDP. I guess we'll see. And with that, I think we'll draw this one to an end. If you're in agreement, guys. Yep. Yep. Yeah, we definitely ran long on this one. Yeah. So. Okay, well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, thanks for watching. Be sure to hit that subscribe button. Be sure to hit the bell as well so you can get alerts when the next one comes out. You know, do check out the Patreon. Every little bit helps. You can get access to the Patreon Discord as well. We like to have some lively discussions there too. So just keep coming back and we'll see you in the next one. Catch you later, guys.